We're back in the saddle. Welcome to episode 412 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast that has a Wonkatonia topper as part of its collector's edition. Uh, I had an amazing, amazing honeymoon in Tokyo and Seoul, South Korea. I highly recommend at some point in your life, you just get to Tokyo and Japan. It is an amazing culture that cannot be described on a pinball podcast, okay? But let's jump right into it. Um, before I do anything, I need to to wish a happy five-year wedding anniversary to Chuck and Madison. Congratulations on five years. I know it's a little bit belated, but I wanted to give uh, you a shout-out, Chuck. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, Madison is amazing. Okay, so let's talk about what's been going on in pinball. Now, I've been away from the pinball scene for about two and a half weeks. I did give you the Christopher Franchi interview that I thought was amazing. And I'm really happy Chris took the time and was very open, very well-spoken, and very candid about his experience in the pinball hobby. And I do think that uh, the stories he tells are of value. And of course, there are two sides to every story, but wouldn't you rather hear at least one side of the story? Because we never hear the other side of the story, and we never will, okay? And I think the, the big picture people missed on this whole thing is, I know people were debating whether or not like he should be allowed to sell artwork at different pinball shows. Those license holders do not care. They don't. The real thing people miss, to me the big story uh, that Christopher Franchi was talking about was basically how the designers at Stern are under so much pressure to deliver games at a certain price point that they have to pull stuff out that's really innovative and creative. And I love the story of John Borg just going crazy when he had to remove stuff from the Munsters game. And that, to me, that's, that's the big news. It's not about whether or not Mr. Franchi's being ethical selling 50 prints of, of Batman at a show, okay? And I do think that Chris uh, has a lot of passion for this hobby. And I think wherever his talents his talents. Uh, I'm a little. I'm a little jet lagged. You can tell. Wherever his talents fall, um, will be of benefit to that manufacturer. And it sounds like he's going to do more and more work for Chicago Gaming Company. All right. So let's talk. Let's talk, people. Let's talk about pinball because there was not a lot of news. When people start talking a lot about the toppers in a pinball game, you realize that we're short on news and information. But that doesn't mean that a lot wasn't discussed at Expo. Not a lot of news, but a lot of happenings in the pinball industry. So let's do this on episode 412 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Let's just go down what people have been talking about. Let me try and tackle this a little bit differently. Let me go by what I think was the most significant news and we'll go in order of manufacturers. Now, I think the company that sort of stole the show a little bit and had the most conversation going at Pinball Expo this year was Chicago Gaming Company when they showcased uh, the upgrade for Medieval Madness Remake. And uh, for, for those of you who are unaware, it's real simple. You can now upgrade your Medieval Madness Remakes to look more like 
uh, Attack from Mars and Monster Bash remake. So that means a bigger screen and a nice, beautiful topper, right? The most important part of a pinball machine in 2019 is the topper. Uh, but nowadays, uh, you can make all of your Chicago gaming company games look identical with big screens and beautiful toppers. Now, here's why this news was interesting. And I want I want to break this news down a little bit because I do think that Chicago Gaming Company uh, is doing the right thing, but I also think they're trying to engage a little bit in a marketing spin kind of BS thing that I want to talk about. And that is this. They basically came out and said the following. We're going to remake uh, 500 medieval madnesses and those 500 will be a classic edition a special edition and a uh, what is it the uh, the royal edition that will have everything including uh, powder coated armor and coin door and speaker panel the new topper RGB lighting I think black mirror blades, like they give you all this stuff. And they're basically saying this, if you already have a Medieval Madness remake, you can buy all of the stuff that we are going to make available and put it into your game. Albeit, we know they're not going to make the armor available, but for the most part, you can get a bigger display, you can get the new lighting, and you can get the new topper. So you could extensibly take your limited edition Medieval Madness remake and incorporate the new elements of the royal and special editions of the game, which is really cool. I mean, if you have a Medieval Madness, uh, you can now upgrade them uh, to have the new stuff. And the new stuff is beautiful. I don't think anyone is arguing against the cool factor of the bigger display and that beautiful topper and the new lighting. Now, here's where the debate gets a little questionable. I, here, here's where I want to look at this whole situation. So they are basically making what I've said will be more of like a special limited edition or a super limited edition of the game because they made 1,000 limited edition versions. I think it's 1,000 or 12,500 LEs of Medieval Madness. Okay, now they are saying they're only going to make 500 of this new run and that 500 will include the classic, the, stand, the special, and the royal. And the way they're positioning it is this. They're not going to tell you how many royal editions they're going to make. They are going to take orders for classic editions and special editions. And whatever's left over, that's how many royal editions they will make. But see, the whole thing is kind of BS in how they're communicating this. Because here's why. The, all of that is just marketing spin by the distributors but, you know, where they're basically saying, get your order in now because it's going to sell out. Well, how many are there going to be? Well, we're not going to tell you how many they're going to be. So wait, so how do you know when you're going to sell out? Well, I'm not going to tell you when we're going to sell out because we don't even know the number. And I just, I'm just getting tired of these sort of like manufactured arbitrary editions in which the consumer is completely in the dark about what number game he has out of that number. Okay, so for example, why can't they just tell us if they sell 100 classic editions and 100 special editions that there will be 300 royal editions out in the world? And why can't they just number those royal edition games? Now, you know why? Because they don't want the limited edition folks to be pissed off 
that the royal numbers are lower. But here's why I think the whole thing is stupid, because regardless, regardless of whether or not they number these royal edition games, they will always be more limited than the limited edition games. And now I'm just using stupid vernacular like this limited is more limited than those limited. It's so stupid. I don't know why these companies can't stop this nonsense and just tell us how many they're making of each version. See, the other part is this. They then go on to say, we are not going to make any more Royal Editions. And then, okay, but that doesn't stop them from six months from now making a blue sparkly powder-coated version of the game with blue armor and calling it something else and, and saying, hey, we're, we're doing another run. And so ultimately, I think we all know by now that none of these companies' limited edition games are A, truly limited, B, will never be made again. They'll just find a new way to rename it something else and then they can do another run. Now, do you like that or you do not like that? See, I think collectors are getting screwed left and right in this hobby. And for you LE owners out there, I mean, come on. There's no way you're feeling great about this because if Medieval Madness is a game that you love, that you want to have the best version of, there's just, there's just no way around it. You don't have the best version of it because the best version of it will be the one with all the bells and whistles. Now, as much as you can upgrade yours, you still then won't have the rarest version of the game, which adds value. It just does add value. Okay, now I don't blame Chicago Gaming Company for doing this, uh, but I think they're kind of trying to do it in a way that doesn't piss off the original LE owners, but everyone's too smart. They see right through these tactics, okay? Uh, and we're already seeing people on Pinside saying, I'm selling my LE to get a Royal Edition because they know, they know that when all the dust settles, it will be the Royal Editions that are the rarest and most sought after versions of this game that everyone loves. I just wish we could get to a point now where we would stop with these shenanigans. It's like the Yellow Brick Road edition of Waz, where it's like, well, how many are you making, Jack? Well, we're going to make 250 this year. And when people buy a Wizard of Oz Yellow Brick Road edition, it tells them what number their game is. Like, you got game number 127. Well, it's like, out of how many? Well, we don't know. I mean, come on. You either have to give a collector what they want, which is they just want to know what number of, of, of what number they have. That's it. And it means something to them. And you have to respect that. You have to respect that. That that's what matters because it's part of the story that I have one of only 50 Elviras or 80 Batmans. Not, oh, we're just going to make another version and that's that. So, but look, I think Chicago Gaming Company has been looking at one thing. They've been looking at the amount of money Stern Pinball has been making on games that have half as much in them and if you're a Chicago gaming company you have to be saying to yourself oh, wait a minute we're making the best versions of the best games ever and they just sold Elvira for $15,000 by just putting a piece of couch on an apron and saying they're only making 50 and then they're making the exact exact same game for $10,000 they're making a $5,000 profit 
on a game by putting nothing in it. And people just stood by and said, hey, if it's fun, buy, buy, buy. And it's ridiculous. And this company's put so much more into these games. And I think you have to look at a game like Monster Bash Remake for $8,000 and say they're, they're losing money. They're, they're leaving money on the table by selling Monster Bash Remakes for that cheap. I'm sorry, but if you look at where games are selling nowadays, there is no way a Chicago gaming company game that's fully loaded with a topper should be cheaper than a Stern LE that has half as much in it, has no topper, oftentimes doesn't give you, uh, you know, like like a third of what's mechanically in the game. I, I I just I can't I can't. They they must be watching Stern very closely and saying we're leaving millions of dollars on the table. Let's go get some of it. So I I do think what they're doing is smart. All right. So that's Chicago Gaming Company. We'll see what happens with how many Royal Editions make it out into the world. I I love it. I mean, I I I'm going to be honest with you. I moved over I moved over my my Willy Wonka Collector's Edition deposit over to a Royal Edition uh, of Medieval Madness Remake. I've always wanted a Medieval Madness Remake. I just didn't really feel like inclined to pull the trigger because they were making so many of them. But now with this full package, I think it might be the right kind of game to put next to Batman. Um, We'll see. I still have a lot of decision making to make in November. I still want to see if Karate Kid is the next game. I don't think it's going to be after... After no one, no, you know, nobody has come out and been like, Canada's right. I, I think that rumor might be wrong. I might have been set up. Uh, but Brian Eddy's game is next. So here's what's incredible is that Brian Eddy's game will be next from Stern, and Brian Eddy's Medieval Madness remake will also be going back on the line. Like he's going to be competing with the best version of his prior self. Now, I can tell you this there's no way. Stern Pinball will give him the amount of money in terms of like the mechanisms and the engineering that Medieval Madness have. Like the, the still that that damn castle is still one of the greatest toys in the history of pinball. All right, so let's talk about Stern. Elvira LEs are going out. The games look great. Uh, the owners of the games will justify them by saying they're awesome. But we all know that the game has a long way to go with the coding, but it's Lyman Sheets. So it's a silly debate to wonder whether or not the game will be coded well. It'll be one of the best coded games ever because that's what Lyman Sheets does. I will say mechanically, I've seen a lot of issues people are having with their new inbox games. And I'd be a little bit concerned because not a lot of games have gone out yet and there seems to be a higher volume of stuff going wrong with the game mechanically. So let's keep a close look at that game. Uh, so there's been a lot of things reported wrong uh, from different owners. Okay, but the big news was looking at the Whitewood of Dennis Nordman's original design of Elvira and what was yanked out. Did you see that happen over the last couple of weeks? My God, they had it had like those amazing Whitewater ramps in the game. It also had this amazing diverter on the left ramp that diverted the ball around the back of the house, which was super cool. That's gone. So clearly, Stern yanked out some of the really fun elements of the game. I think for me, it would have been awesome to have those white water ramps in the game because I think that's part of, you know, Dennis's signature. And he must look over that game now and be like, oh, they removed a lot of the stuff that made this game me. Um, But we know 
we know that this is what Stern does. Like they take out stuff that's not necessary. Like, cause you could look at the game and be like, is it necessary that we spend more money on these really cool ramps? Uh, will we still sell the game? And, and obviously they're right. Like the fact that they sold all these games so quickly with those boring straight ramps or the ramp returns is, is just, it just indicates that whoever's making the decisions over there is right. Like they understand like we're such a bunch of suckers that because we're not demanding more from these games, they will continue to see how far they can take stuff out. All right. Now, look, I think it might be a little early to call it, but I'm going to call the game of the year at this this year's Twippies is going to be Jurassic Park. Now, I have not seen a game get so universally applauded as Jurassic Park. And I mean, these are from people that that are normally skeptical and cynical. And I'm just hearing it is such a fun game to shoot. And I look forward to playing a premium LE. I've played the pro. I, I think this is why Jurassic Park has been so successful or has been or is is being so, you know, applauded by the community. It's Keith Elwin. I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, Keith Elwin, I think Keith Elwin has something that destroys, uh, you know, the pressures that other designers fall victim to because I here, here's what he I think he does. I think even though Stern has a low bomb, I think he knows how to design a game that feels very unique, very refreshing, and understands that you can still make a, a pinball machine special, unique, have a lot of satisfying shots, have a lot to shoot at, and understand like the rule sets and everything that is needed to make a pinball experience very rewarding for both the casual player and the expert player. I think he understands masterfully how to do that with a game. And I think you have to look no further than Jurassic Park because when you stand over a Jurassic Park, it doesn't feel like another cookie cutter fan layout stern game. It really feels like it's his design at work. And, and and I would love to see like Keith Elwin at a Jersey Jack or at a Chicago gaming company just to see how much more he could do if he had more money to put into his games. But despite of that, he doesn't even need it to make a really interesting, fun layout. And I think that's what pinball needs more of is looking at a game and saying, how can we just make this layout unique? And, and that is why I think people gravitate so much towards Keith's games is they're refreshing. They break up a, a lineup that might all feel similar. And so Jurassic Park not only does that, but then it's like Jurassic Park, right? It's like you hear the Jurassic Park theme song and you're in that Jurassic Park world. And even though it's not based on any of the Jurassic Park movies, it sort of is inspired by all of them. And it does feel like a unique Jurassic Park adventure. Would I have rather had it be the first movie? Absolutely. I think everybody would. But again, I think Stern was very upfront and honest about how they approached this game. And I think people look at it that way. And I think people enjoy it that way because they, they're they not being misled to think it was going to be something else. All right. So I look forward to playing that game. But I think that game is going to win game of the year just based upon people's feedback of the game itself. All right. What else is going on in the pinball world? Let's talk next about 
the six-month in-the-making collector's edition of the Willy Wonka Pinball Machine by Jersey Jack Pinball. So, uh, I don't know what people were fully expecting here because we saw the the game matrix of what you were going to get from Willy Wonka Collector's Edition way back when this game was first introduced to us. I believe it was April of 2019. Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? So here's here's what we finally got. We finally got a video right before Expo showcasing to us the collector's edition of Willy Wonka Pinball. Now, it makes it makes sense to get the video out right before the show so that way people can actually order the game at the show and distributors who are going to be there with customers can can take orders on the game. Now, what are my thoughts? on the Willy Wonka Collector's Edition of the game. And I'm just I'm just gonna give you my thoughts based upon the actual package of the game. You, you know my thoughts on the game itself. Nothing has really changed um, with the Collector's Edition other than the Veruca Salt callouts that are in the game. So I think it's like a little bit of like good, bad, and ugly, okay? So I think the good parts of the game are that I think the game is beautiful. And I think they made a beautiful game look even more beautiful with the Collector's Edition. If you love this game, and you want the most beautiful version of it, there, there is no way you would want anything other than the Collector's Edition. That candy red armor with the sparkle, the sparkle uh, artwork on the playfield. There's new playfield artwork, which differentiates it a little bit, like Willy Wonka is now inside a circle, and there's more red in the game. Uh, I think it looks really nice. There's different cabinet artwork with the Rad Cals. It's, it's a gorgeous looking game. I've, I've always said Willy Wonka to stand over that game. You can fall in love with it just by looking at it. Absolutely gorgeous looking machine. Okay. It's got inner art blades in it. It's got, you know, the gobstopper, uh, you know, shooter rod in it. It's got under cabinet lighting. I think all these things aesthetically, the game looks great. Okay. Then we get to the topper of the game. And the topper of this game was supposed to be the Wonkatonia uh, moving ship. And that was what was promised in the design matrix when people were first introduced to this game. And we didn't get that. It, it's an Oompa Loompa with a Wonka bar and it's interactive lighting on top of it. Now, uh, you know, maybe three, four years ago, a topper like this flies. In a world in which Mons sorry, Medieval Madness Topper is phenomenal, the Black Knight Topper is phenomenal. Did you see the Black Knight Topper? Super cool, interactive. I mean, nothing can save the Black Knight from being a, a bargain bin game in a year. You're going to see Black Knights like LEs and premiums for like five to 5,500, and I bet the pros are going to be like three grand soon. But albeit, Elise Stern put some effort into the Topper. When you look at that Willy Wonka Topper, and Jack had six months to get a sexy topper on top of the machine. It looks like an Oompa Loompa took a little bit of a dump on top of the machine. I mean, look, look at the shape of it. It, it, looks, it looks bad. It's not good. It looks cheap. It looks like an afterthought. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't even cover the top of the game. And that's the other thing about toppers. It, you know, they, they, looked, they look best when they, they go almost across the entire top of the game. Um, look at the Batman topper, look at the Monster Bash topper, look at the Attack from Mars topper, look at the Medieval Madness topper, uh, you know, look at the Black Knight topper. I, I just I just think the topper looks like they mailed it in a little bit. I don't understand. It doesn't look good. Okay, but you know what? Toppers are topper because here's the thing. Even if you don't like that topper, 
you can go and you can get an aftermarket Willy Wonka topper. There's lots of nice ones out there. There's even lots of really nice Willy Wonka sort of toppers from the, the slot machines that are out there in the world that you could buy and probably retrofit to the game. Okay, so then we get to the ugly. And, and this is this thing I've been talking to some of my friends about, and I've just been pointing at this thing and saying, you know, see, to me, this is 100% what frustrates me with Jersey Jack Pinball. And, and I've said this since like, I don't know, the last few releases. There's always like these things they do that just make you sort of scratch your head and be like, what, what, like how, how did they, the company that, you know, makes the most premium pinball product on the planet. And they do. How does a company that makes the most premium pinball product on the planet that is supposed to have six months to get the highest end version of this game out into the world, how did they stand over that god-awful, hideous signature plate that covers up half of the apron artwork with like eight signatures on it. Why are there so many signatures to begin with? But that thing is hideous on a whole new level. I don't think I've ever seen a pinball machine in the history of pinball machines uh, display signatures in a way that bad and that poor. Like there was no thought put on into that at all. And, and this is what frustrates me about about stuff like this. And people are like, well, you, I, I love how some of the owners are like, well, you can just remove it. It's, it's, it's so easy to remove it. I know my, my friend Derek, I can hear him saying it right now. Derek, I'm always gonna call you out because why should someone have to remove an element like that from their collector's edition? Like, I, I don't think that makes any sense. Have you ever heard in the history of pinball owners talking about how they can remove the signatures from the game? that are of the people who made the game itself. Now, if that is not a afterthought installment to this game, I don't know what is. And this is why I just really want people to understand that you deserve better than this. And I get it's not a big element, it's not a big thing, but to me it is. And I'll tell you why it's a big thing. And, and maybe this is part of me coming from Japan, a country and a culture in which details matter so much. Like they, they have such pride in every little thing they do, especially when it comes to technology, to innovation. I mean, the taxi drivers in that country, they keep their cars so clean and perfect. The doors open for you automatically. Those seats are covered in white cloth. Everything, every detail matters. And when you stick this ugly signature plate on your most beautiful pinball machine, what does that say to us about how you care about the details? Because to me, that signature plate, it's like having a tomato stain on a beautiful white shirt. It doesn't matter that it's small, it's there. Like I, it's unavoidable and it just never should have passed the inspection of anyone over there who's got a creative eye. Like, how do you have artists? How do you have J Pat Lawler? How do you have a creative team that stands over this game and says, well, where can we sign it that will look good? I mean, look what Stern just did. And, and, and do you see Stern, the way the signatures are on the Elvira game? Actually, you know, who, you know who designed that? It was Christopher Franchi. He came up with that design of having the signatures nicely put onto the apron artwork like that with their, you know, perfect, perfect. How do, you, how do you see how people do it and then you do it like that? 
And again, it's just, it's mind boggling to me. I know it's not a big thing. I know it's not a gameplay feature. I know it's not any of that. But to me, it's much more representative of a moment in which a company is just mailing it in. And you can't be the best and do crap like that. You, 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 they're better than that. And that's why we get frustrated with Jersey Jack Pinball on this show because they're better than that. They know how to do it better than that. They've shown us they can do it better than that. And that's the problem is like when you give people the Pirates of the Caribbean topper, which is one of the best toppers in pinball history, you can't go back and then just stick crap on it. And that has been the story of me with Jersey Jack. And he might not like me. It's one step forward. He takes us forward in pinball. He, and then he, and then two steps back with, with crap like that. I mean, come on. Every move needs to be progress. Every move should be an advancement on your own progress, okay? Keep taking us forward, Jack, because like I love the stuff like the Bluetooth connectivity and Wi-Fi connection and automatic updates. You know, I love that fact, you know? I love it when Ken over at Special One Lit was like, game's going to upload, you know, it's going to update itself at two in the morning when you're sleeping. It's like, no, it's not, Ken, because the game is off. The game is not turned on at two in the clock in the morning, or unless you sleep with your pinball machine on, all right? So that's what I just hope they do. I hope they stand over these machines and they just get it right. It's so easy. Jersey Jack, again, they're always like 85% of the way there to making like the greatest games ever. And I just think certain elements, they just need to pay a little bit more attention to. All right. But but here's the thing. Will they sell 500 of them at this stage in the game? I don't know. You know, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't know if they will. Uh, I think the sell-through to distributors will be very strong. Uh, there are still LEs in box, though. It is hard to look at the CE as maybe being worth that much more than the limited edition. But you do get stuff that's not found in the LE. Like, I really do like the Veruca Salt callouts. I like the fact that the only place you can get those is in the collector's edition. I've been saying it. I don't understand why more of these high-priced games don't have gameplay features that are exclusive, and I do applaud Jersey Jack for doing that. I mean, it's one of the most special parts of my Batman are the custom Adam West callouts for the SLE owners, and so I think that is something that separates the game from the LE. Uh, I think, the obviously, the CE looks much better, uh, but from a gameplay standpoint, you're not going to have more fun with the collector's edition. You're not. It's just probably won't happen. Um, but I think if you love Willy Wonka and you want the version that's going to stay in your house forever, uh, I, I definitely think the collector's edition will be on your radar. I also think at 500 of them, you'll probably be able to pick one up for less than 12.5 if you just wait a little bit. Okay, so the question for Jersey Jack becomes when does the next game get displayed? Guns and Roses is next. Worst kept secret in pinball. I would expect to see Guns N' Roses in January. That is what I would expect. All right. Spooky Pinball. So I, I kept thinking about Spooky Pinball when I was in Japan. And I'll tell you why. Because when I was in, I be, believe it's Shinjuku, and there is a hotel in which Godzilla is on top of the hotel. And every hour he roars. And Godzilla is amazing. I saw the movie on the plane ride over there. And it's like such, you know, Godzilla to me is like very much like pinball. It's like nerdy, geek, like subculture, like is is like entranced in, in, in Gajira, 
Gojira. Um, and so I kept thinking when I was out there that Godzilla would make a great pinball machine. And I, and I got like a little bit upset because if you're a fan of Godzilla, we know Spooky and, and, and Chuck and Bug are huge fans of Godzilla. I, it, it kind of annoyed me the more I thought about the fact that Stern Pinball went and basically hijacked the Godzilla theme from Chuck and where is the game, right? Do they really have a desire to make that game? I mean, when we heard um, from Franchi that Stern Pinball turned down titles like Beetlejuice and Superman 78 and Wonder Woman uh, because they didn't have a passion behind those games, uh, do we really believe that the designers over at Stern are were dying to make the Japanese Toho version of Godzilla the way Chuck and Bug wanted to make it? And so it just pissed me off. It just, I just feel like there should have been more of an outcry from the community that Stern Pinball went and kind of like robbed them of their dream theme. And I, I would rather them make this game because I feel like only a diehard geek and nerd about Godzilla would really do that game justice and understand the nuances of Godzilla and why uh, it's such a beloved franchise. And, and I just think that we as a community should ask Stern Pinball to rescind their license of Godzilla and hand it back to Spooky. I, I do. I, I think Stern has enough blockbuster titles that I bet Godzilla is like on the C list somewhere for them of like maybe we'll get around to making it one day. But in the meantime, they like completely robbed it. I mean, you, the story of like Chuck and, and co meeting with the licensor and then Jody walking in right after them and like taking it from them, like such BS, such BS. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I just I just wanted to say that I that I kept thinking about that as I looked into the eyes of Godzilla. Um, so, well, speaking of spooky pinball, uh, they released a topper. We're back to toppers again of Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. It's got like a brain in a jar with like all these dials, and I have to say, uh, it's not the prettiest thing. It's 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 not. A, it, it reminds me of like that brain inside of that Ninja Turtles character. Remember in the arcade, who's got like the brain inside his stomach? Uh, I don't know. It looked really. It looked weird. I, I think Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle is a beautiful machine. I'm not quite sure. I would put that thing on top of it. I'm, I, <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't. Um, I, I don't know. It's just something about like this nightmare castle and then that thing's up there just looking more like uh, like a, a brain in a jaw. I don't know. I, I just don't see the connection really. But maybe it's because I don't understand like the storyline and where that fits in. Um, but it's only like $299, which, you know, for an interactive topper, that's not a bad price, all things considered. Uh, let's see what else is going on in the pinball world. All right, so let me let me talk about a couple other things. And so, Haggis Pinball. Okay, so they're, they're like the new kid on the block. And they've got the Celts game. And people, you know, whenever a new pinball company comes out, it's always the same thing. At first, you got the people like just cheerleading. Yeah, we got, we got another pinball manufacturer out there in the world. Awesome. And then there's just the reality of, well, can this machine sell? in 2019 considering the options that are out there and when you when you look at the pinball marketing not or the marketplace the landscape is not just new in box it's like whatever they're asking for that game what else could i get for that price now you have new in box options 
you also have tons of good condition older games that are also available. And so when you look at this game, um, you look at the art package, you look at the layout, you look at everything about it. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, it just to me feels like another Suncoast Pinball Cosmic Carnival venture. And I get that these guys have the passion to make pinball, but it's more than passion. It, it, it's a, it's passion and talent to make pinball succeed. And you need both. And you need almost more talent than passion to be commercially successful in pinball these days. Uh, so we'll see. I just, again, I think people love to pat people on the back for getting a game in a box. But who cares if you get a game in a box and nobody wants it or it's not successful? What did you really do? How relevant are you? Like, did you even make an impact? And I don't think a game like that with what's out there can break through. I, I, I don't. I, I, I don't understand like what market research you do to land there with your, with your offering. Um, I'd love to have them on the show to discuss that if they, if they feel like coming on. Uh, but I think it's a difficult marketplace. Now, speaking of difficult marketplace, American Pinball, uh, Oktoberfest, they've had a code overhaul. All right. And so that is uh, much appreciated by Oktoberfest owners. Uh, they've actually improved on the animations, which is a good thing. And so American Pinball is, you know, I think they're getting ready to say Oktoberfest is done pretty soon. Uh, because we know that their third title will be around the corner. We also know they're making a redemption game. That is a ginormous redemption game. But that's not their third pinball offering. That is something else they're doing. Now, it is it is interesting that they're going into redemption games. Uh, they're called American Pinball. And they're making redemption games. Now, when I was in Japan, redemption games are everywhere. The first three floors of arcades in Japan are all redemption games. Okay, it's all like things hanging from strings and claws and trying to push stuff over to have it fall through. Um, so it does make sense if they're looking at a business model and we look, we can manufacture like these things and these things and these things like is pinball the only thing we can assemble with our assembly line? And the answer might be no. And so if there's more demand for redemption games from operators, which there is. Okay, so that's the other part too. There is way more demand globally for redemption games than there is for pinball machines. Okay, we're going to talk about this at the end of this podcast and some of the things I've been reflecting on. Um, but there just is. So that's going to be next. But then we know there's going to be a third pinball title around the corner. So we didn't see it yet. So as I said, I don't think you're going to see American Pinball's next title until TPF. Because I don't think they're going to show it until it's ready to go on the line. I don't think they're going to make the same mistake again and do some like six-month early reveal. So we'll see what title that is. I'm, I'm just curious to see what the redemption game is too. Okay, but Oktoberfest, I don't think they're going to sell close to a 1,000 of that game. It doesn't matter that they do code updates at this point. The game's been out pretty much a year. Uh, it was shown a year ago. And so, you know, the way the market is now, if your game doesn't become a hit at the beginning, it's it's really hard to have a slow burn, successful pinball game nowadays. There's just too much that is constantly coming out. 
All right, what else is going on in pinball, Dutch pinball? So I don't know what to do with the whole Dutch situation. It seems like there are a few people on the forum that keep apologizing for them and keep saying that they're they're figuring it out. The last rumor I heard was that Barry's been able to make six or seven new games and send them to people. Now the question I have, where are the photos of these six or seven newly made games? How much of uh, how how much of that game was built from the ground up or how how many of those games were partially assembled at ARA uh, before Barry you know put them in a box and where are they right because I heard that the early achievers were supposed to get new sort of special elements added to their games I've not seen an early achiever who just got a new game unbox it yet and show us what's in it that is differentiating and so then the question becomes, and this is the big question, is, is, is can they figure this out? Because, you know, he said he's going to be able to make like 500 of these things uh, by the end of the year, which will then get all the early achievers their games who did not get their games yet. You know how I feel about this thing. It, it has to be Ponzi scheme economics. I don't know how you, how you do it. How does he get the money to make the games? Because no one's going to pre-order these things. So I think Dutch Pinball remains a big question mark. And I hope people get their games in the end. Uh, but until I see real progress, and again, like we live in a world where there's, where there's uh, technology, where Barry could easily do a Facebook Live and show us a live version of the production facility or share photos, or give us updates, but he doesn't, right? Weeks go by with no word on what's happening. And so that's what happens. It's like, it's always the same story with Barry. No word on what's happening. There's always one or two European apologists for him on Pinside who are like, everything's going great, and yet you never see any actual evidence that things are going great. And history has shown us that things never go great in the world of Dutch pinball, okay? Now, speaking of European companies, we did not see any alien pinball at Expo. So I was wrong on that one. Uh, but I, I don't know what to think about with the pinball brothers. I, I, I don't. They're, they're still around. But again, these are just like super wealthy multimillionaire guys. So they're like, they're, they'll always be around. They could always decide to put more money against pinball. Uh, but until we see something concrete, I, I think the knowing that they've been going around to different manufacturers leads me to believe that the future for Alien, if there is a future, is to see a game from either Chicago Gaming or American Pinball from them. I, I think that makes the most sense. All right. Speaking of looking around for a manufacturer, uh, what about this game? What about the Kingpin remake that wasn't? I think they brought the same game again to Expo. What do you think about this one? I mean, this one to me is somewhat annoying, and I'll explain why. Kingpin had like super sought after rare game that only like a few prototypes were out in the world. They were they were trading for like thirty to fifty thousand dollars, and these guys like we're remaking it. Okay, how many years ago was that? Like two maybe plus years ago. This it's forever in the making game. Same thing with the, that Circus Maximus game, the pinball circus game, forever in the making. And I, I don't know, like either you have a plan to get to manufacturing or you don't. And how long is this thing gonna drag on, right? How long before it starts to feel dated? 
Now, in the process, what they've done is they've completely destroyed the collectability on some level and like the rarity and the, the sought after nature of the original ones, because you, you've got to be nuts to go buy. If they're going to remake the same exact game, you've got to be nuts to go buy uh, the original. I know some people want the original like serial number matching pins. Most people don't care about that. Um, but I just either just it's 2019. Like, I just think if you have a plan to remake a pinball machine, just figure out how to get it done before you announce it to the world. And that's the other thing too. I just get it. It's just, it's weird to me that people want to get credit before they deserve credit. Like you haven't remade it. Like you didn't even finish your first project and now you're on to the second one and it seems like it's taking forever. And maybe it's just a side passion project. That's fine. But then why why not do it unless you know how to do it and within a timely manner? All right. Speaking of timely manner, let's close out with these guys because Deep Root Pinball. And, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to talk about this because in a couple of weeks, we're going to see exactly what Deep Root has been working on. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I heard some mumblings from people at Expo. It seems like some people either in the deep root camp or outside the deep root camp have like loose lips and we're sort of saying how like they think some of what's going on over there is like in shambles and they can't get white woods together and there's been some complaining that I've been hearing but I don't want to report on like I you know I don't I don't know I just want to see what they deliver and I'll say this it is not a good sign that the first time we see a deep root pinball machine it's not going to be a fully completed machine. And I think that is a humongous red flag. And I'll explain why. Is that Robert's a smart guy. He knows this industry. He knows exactly how to create hype, how to get people excited about a game. And he also knows the right way to reveal a game to the world. Nobody in their right mind in today's climate would ever reveal a machine that's half done with incomplete artwork. That's not the full package. All that's ever done is 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 destroyed the ability to create the hype when a game comes out. And so the fact that we're not going to get a totally finished Raza in November to me looks like a red flag. It would it would make me concerned that they still don't have this figured out. And, there's, and, the, and the finish line for them keeps pushing further and further out. Right now, it's like sometime in 2020, between like spring and summer, we might see the first game. And at what point do you take a company that said we would see more games than pinball's ever seen in 2019? It's like, you know, and they're like, well, we didn't exactly hit our target. You didn't, you didn't exactly, you didn't do anything. We, we didn't see anything. And so... I think they might be swirling with by trying to bite off too much. And, and I've said this before. I think the biggest mistake people make when they try to get into pinball is they try to either do too much or they don't do enough. And what you really need to do, if I were to like look at all these pinball companies, I would just make, and, and I know Robert's a fan of the Bally Williams eras of games, like just make a great game based on a great theme with some magic in it. I mean, is it that hard? Is it really that hard? Get a good theme, get a good design, have some fun toys in the game, and have a checklist. Like, does it look great? Is it a theme people want? Does the ball do two or three magical things that are going to make people say, wow, did you see that? 
Like, is it, does it have enough depth to own this game? Is it easy enough for casual people to walk up and enjoy it, right? Now, I heard like one of the smartest things I've heard any podcaster say on the Slap Safe Pinball podcast. They were talking about how with Jersey Jack games, they're just not approachable. You know, they make these games and you need like a manual to understand like how to play the game. And that, to me, that's not pinball, right? You know, pinball should be like immediately fun. It doesn't, it, it also, it can also be deep, but it can be fun. Like when you make a game that requires so much knowledge of how to play it, you're making like a role playing game now, but ask yourself a question. How often do you go into an arcade and see a role playing game there? Like you don't play Final Fantasy seven when you go out on location. And to me, that's the whole issue with like some of the Jersey Jack approaches. It's like you want to make a game for location. Then you make it super deep like a role-playing game, and those two things don't go together. You, you got to go one way or the other. And then if you make it really deep and really difficult, then I want long ball times because I need long ball times to see deep into the game. And you can't make it a drain monster, right? It's just super, it's just, to me, this stuff seems commonsensical. Um, but, you know, in the world of pinball, I'm always surprised when I wake up every day how some decisions are made that just seem to be like contradictory to what the consumer wants or what the marketplace is in the pinball world. So lots of pressure on Deep Root though, with all these games coming out. I mean, people have limited space. Um, people are gonna be expecting a lot. And, and, and here's why they'll be expecting a lot, because they ran their mouths a lot. They said a lot. When Steve Bowden's like, just wait, right? They were up there all smug talking about it. Uh, they need to deliver. So we'll see. Again, we have just a couple weeks before we'll see what happens at the Houston Arcade Expo. All right, anything else going on in pinball? Um, I think that's pretty much it. I want to just end this show with a few of my reflection points, okay? And, you know, I've been sort of thinking a lot about this hobby when I took like a couple weeks off. And, you know, it's it gives you perspective. And I, I, did, I did update my Facebook page. I did look at Pinside every now and then when I was traveling. You know, and I'll say this. We are all part of a very, very small hobby. We are. This is this hobby is a hobby within a hobby, right? If you the bigger hobby is like arcade collecting, and arcade games sold way more than pinball machines. Like we're the subset of the arcade culture. The pinball machines were never the most popular machines inside the arcade, uh, you know, the arcade environment back in the day, and and we're very small. And I think sometimes when you spend all day long on a pinball forum or you make pinball the center of your universe, you start to think that pinball is bigger than it is and it's not and then when i see people with the desire to expand the pinball right we need to expand pinball we need to get more people into pinball i think it's pretty futile i think there's already enough people in pinball to keep a lot of these manufacturers afloat for now i think space is the number one issue that is going to affect people more than money it's going to be space there's just nowhere to put new games for most people the younger generation just does not care. I don't care if your kids are into it because you have it. Remember, you're probably the only house in the county that has pinball machines in it. The majority of kids who are growing up playing cell phone games, playing immediately exciting games for pennies, are never going to get into a sport like pinball that costs so much money to buy one. Uh, the access to them is is not there and, and it's not the most social game. It's not. It, think about it. Like the social elements of when you play pinball is when you get your buddies over, you're drinking beers and you're hanging out and then you're playing pinball. Well, kids are not 
hanging out, drinking, like, you know, they, they, all, all the social elements are not there. Like they're more addicted to things, uh, that have to do with like social media connectivity and online gaming and whatnot. It's, it's silly to even like argue that pinball is going to be, uh, shepherded into the next generation and then on and then on it's not. And that's okay. Cause I still think so many of us have many, many more years to go and pinball will still be around for many, many more years. And I don't want to put a prediction on, you know, when it's going to die or when the collapse is going to happen of the market, because nobody knows. I don't know. You don't know. Who knows where the world's going to be like in the next three to five to 10 years? Nobody does. Okay. But I will say this. If you spend more money on pinball and invest more time in pinball than you do with your friends and your family and your health, then I think you're, you're, you're investing too much in it. And, you know, just coming out of a trip that pr- that probably cost me at the end of the day as much as a collector's edition machine, I wouldn't have traded that for the world. And when you do spend money in other areas on experiences that will last you a lifetime, you do start to realize a little bit, maybe a lot a bit, the ridiculousness of how expensive pinball has now become for the amount of entertainment it does provide, Okay. These games are very, very expensive now. And with the high prices should come the high expectations from us, the consumers, and from us, the buyers. And I think if there's one thing that's disappointing to me as I look at this hobby, I mean, you're like, one thing, Chris, you get disappointed in a lot of things. I think the one thing, though, is for the prices of these games, I do find there to be way too much, like, overall... Uh, universal cheerleading too much of like this everything is awesome response to these games that are that are being priced at such a high price point and I think more and more of us should speak up and demand more from these manufacturers if they're going to charge this much money for games like a stern pinball machine for nine thousand dollars should come with a topper like it just should right it should come with more in it Maybe it shouldn't be $9,000 if you know what it costs to make the game, okay? But, you know, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard because everything always gets defended as, well, if it's fun and if I want it, who cares? And it's hard for me to argue against that. It's a very emotional item for people to buy. It's a non-essential item, okay? But, you know, when I go around the world and I met, and I met someone, man, like I'm in... Golden guys, I think that's the area of uh, Shinjuku where it's like all these bars. And it's like a dude comes up to me and says, hey, are you Kaneda? And it's this guy, Mike. He's awesome. He listens to the show. I'm like, I'm all the way around the world. And I run to someone who listens to the show. And, you know, and that's why I love this hobby is is it, it connects people. And it's it has an amazing ability to connect people. Um, you know, but, but there, there's a big but. You know, I think that too much, too much of too much of our time can be spent in, in in this hobby, like dissecting so much of it. And ultimately, I think the majority of the new games aren't wowing you the way you want them to wow you for the amount of money they are. And and I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's why we get a lot of people listening to this show. Is I think we look at it through that lens of like, well, for ten grand. Shouldn't this just blow me away at this stage? I mean, why were games that were $3,000 packed with twice as much stuff? And we shouldn't stop asking those questions of why we're not seeing more. You know, Stern Pinball has done something ingenious. 
they've found a way to lower the price of the game, like lower the manufacturing cost of the game while charging three times as much as they used to on the games, all while you still are buying it, right? They haven't lost consumers. They've gained consumers. They continue to test to see how, mar- how far they can push. And Elvira selling out in one day for $15,000, you know what that tells them? They haven't even scratched the surface of how far they can push us. And so we'll continue to cover those kinds of moves in the pinball hobby. You know, when I start this podcast, I'm being away for it for two weeks, and I've listened to a lot of other pinball podcasts that are out there. You know, some of them I love, some of them, I, you know, bore me. I'll be honest. Some of them are great. Some of them are not great. But they are, they're all attempting to give their opinions about pinball, and that's cool. Like, I, I, I love that people have the desire and the passion to pick up a mic and tell us, you know, their thoughts on pinball. We can't all be the same way. We can't. Some people are animated. Some people are not. Some people want to talk about breakfast. Some people don't. Some people want to say everything is awesome. Bye, bye, bye. Some people don't. Some people distribute games for a living. Some people like fix games for a living. Some people just critique games for a living. We're all different. We're all different. And I think the differences of opinions are what make it exciting, right? Um, But, you know, for me, I always want to have a podcast that my goal was always just to be relevant. Like we will talk about what's relevant going on right now. And this podcast has always been a podcast about the pot. It's been a podcast about the pinball conversation. Like I just want to capture what people are talking about and I want to try and articulate what I think is on people's minds, okay? But again, I implore you, I implore you, if you're thinking about buying these $10,000 games and you're thinking about spending 12500 I don't know, maybe ask yourself, Should I take my family on an epic vacation instead? Should I do something more with this money? Should I join a gym? Should I get in shape? I mean, look at Jared. He's lost 70 pounds. God bless him. That's been more transformative in in his life than buying pinball machines. You know, because ultimately, ultimately, let me just leave you guys with one question. You know, what's the resale value on your life? Keep looking at these games like investments and this and that. Just, Just focus on making your life balance with the right things. And I do think that having hobbies like pinball is important to a happy life. I do. I, 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 never, I never in a million years would recommend you leave this hobby and you leave pinball. Like It's so much fun to see what's around the corner. It's so much fun to hang out with dudes in this hobby. It's so much fun to connect and geek out over something like a pinball machine. I do. I think it's amazing. I love this hobby so much. I think there's so much good stuff to come. I think you can put a better signature plate on your game, Jersey Jack. I think you can make your games less confusing. I think Stern Pinball could put more into their games for the amount of money they're charging us. I think American Pinball, the door is wide open for these guys to deliver a hit title. They know enough by now to get it right. I think Deep Root Pinball is in a deep hole in terms of people's expectations for them. You know, I think Chicago Gaming Company, I've heard their next title which we know is probably Cactus Canyon. I heard the treatment on that is phenomenal. It's going to blow everyone away. I think they're in the driver's seat because they're just remastering the hits. I think they're probably Stern's biggest competitor next to Jersey Jack Pinball. And I think there's so much out there. All that I want, though, is for these games to bring more magic. They need to bring more magic and think about pinball a little bit differently. I think it's all too much the same, and that's why I think guys like Keith Elwin have such a big following because they don't cookie-cut it, all right? Everyone, I'm glad to be back. 
I'm a little, a lot jet lagged. I hope you'd enjoy this episode 412. Everyone, love you. Episode 412, Canada's back. Look forward to more shows coming up real soon. Later.